Welcome, Welcome to, to Art with. <laughs> Fiona Verity. Say it again. Fiona? No. Fiona Verity. And Julie Nicholson. So, uh, <clears throat> David Fairburn, you live in Wedderburn near Campbelltown. We came to interview Suzanne a while ago, and your property in the bush, we can't stop talking about it. It is quite unique and amazing, and you built it. Which is incredible, like and the and the documentation that you've had yeah. on you know building it and everything. It's 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 a museum we were, ready. Yeah, we were so excited to come back. Like, do you think you could live anywhere else now? Well, absolutely not. I always find it interesting when people you know have their places and they, you know they bought a place or rented a place. Can't imagine wanting to live anywhere that I haven't. Like it's unique. Yeah. Like, it, like it's a one off space so the, the the idea and we were talking earlier about sort of downsizing at some point mm. well, there's no way no. going to do that because i couldn't go into a place that somebody else had actually designed or built some somehow the the, the very fabric of one's psyche seems to be embedded in mm. in a place that is no one is totally different from any other you know, house mm. or um, dwelling that I've ever, mm. yeah. So I, I, I think from, I mean, we both, you know, Sue mm. and I often talked about this being like our major sculptural. It is. Sort of I project. feel it is. It's, yeah, it's a, a living sculpture. In fact, mm. our next door neighbours, who, who we were quite friendly with, he the guy used to pass along the track, and he said, "Oh God, you poor buggers, you know, up there, lumping rocks into the building and stuff." So yeah. I think as an artist, you you know that hands-on thing is 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 actually what ultimately makes it so satisfying that you've actually made this mm. painting or drawing or yeah house or garden. So they're all or, just yeah. A, yeah well uh, yeah well just an extension of you and yeah. your hands and your thoughts. Like every decision was you, and that comes out in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's right. It doesn't matter whether it's a house, a painting, a drawing, a garden. It's given the same consideration artistically yeah. the whole you know uh, but we were lucky because the house um, because elizabeth cummings is an artist who you know lives locally L- little what known just li- i think re- a few very, people very, might very, know very her. minor sort yeah. of artist <laughs> from, whatever. just drop that in um, just yeah drop you know, her in her, her son damien came an architect oh. so he he actually came in and literally five minutes of scribble on a, on a piece of paper said Oh, Christ, you don't want to build a bloody just super farm shed type house. You know, yeah. we just had this idea, just this great big shed thing. You know, yeah. Maybe mezzanines and stuff. So, no, yeah. so he ended up designing this sort of split level house so the actual beam runs right through the whole house. Yeah. But you've got those different levels because you've got different floor levels. So, yeah. And then the bathroom. So they're like pods, three different pods, three different kind of buildings all flowing together so so we can't take credit for the actual the design but he did actually have us in mind in terms of making it as simple as possible for us to mm. build so we didn't have any mm. unbelievably sort of weird sort of mm. um, corners to deal with you know so, did you have builders in the family or something because well, most could, people would be scared to take something like that on well, I think it probably, you know, I mean, you can, you can you can sort of build any kind of fantasies you like about your, you know, your history. But I mean, on my father's side, there's a whole 
history of engineers that go back to, okay. to, yeah. to the mining sort of um, – in fact, my great-grandfather actually was part of that whole um, designing um, pumps for – you know, taking the water out of the mines, but first ah. steam, steam, because originally before the steam engine, yeah, they actually made um, you know pumps that, that were driven mm. by steam, mm. and he was one of those engineers that actually was part of that that early experimentation with with steam engine, and um, and then eventually when when my grandfather emigrated to Rhodesia, which was back in the thirties. Um, you know, he set up a mixed business there and also built a stone house. Ah. So that's kind of interesting. So he was very mm. hands-on sort of guy. So you yeah. were born in Zimbabwe, right? I was born in Zambia, which oh, was, Zambia. Was, was northern Rhodesia. You went to, to King's School. Did you go I to know, Kings? that's even more bizarre, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. that's a very bloody traditionally, I mean, eaten, I mean, it's all yeah. that. Did level, you wear right? tails? We wore wing collars and noses. <gasps> Stop it. But it was weird? kind of interesting because even within, you know, the British hierarchical yeah. sort of class system, we were all those expats, so all the kids from mm. Italy, from Africa, from India, yeah. were all put, put in one house. We, we were seen as being quite feral, really, I think. Oh. And, and, the, and the house that we were in was actually three kilometres out of Canterbury. Stop it. So, so you were put in the middle out. of nowhere. You were well, the country you know, kids on, on the edge of Canterbury, you know. Still, it's so beautiful we, around there. Would have well, been I mean, lovely. No, it was still fairly. You know, it was just one, one of these big old sort of Georgian type. Do you think you paid less? Of, <laughs> get, get a discount. <laughs> you, you'd have to ask the British government. Yeah, they, maybe. They, they, I they, maybe. I think the did colonial they, service paid. <laughs> yeah. Did they bus you in then? No, no. We used to walk into into school. Really? And um, I mean, that's the hilarious thing is because I I, I think you you felt. That you were different, and, and even though you were having to sort of associate with kids from all all walks of life, yeah. You know, um, generally, we we were sort of seen as as, as a slightly sort of separate bunch mm. of kids. So I always felt, and that's probably where the whole questioning of you know governments and people controlling how mm. you live your life and trying to be independent because I remember you have to wear a wing collar and a white shirt and a boater. Well, very soon I was wearing a white shirt but it had pinstripe, blue pinstripes in it and my boater sort of changed the headband to, from a blue to blue and white. You know, like just little... You were a rebel, David. <laughs> were you? Well, I just remember... Sounds very I, like a rebel to I, me. I just remember going into, into, into class and basically been told to run they had a green court you know outside the cathedral there was this big courtyard with grass and a pathway around it so i just have this memory of half my school class days being sent out to run around the green <laughs> court fit. for half a half an hour because i was not dressed according to oh, so the, that was your punishment yes yeah, my punishment so did you just start questioning from an early age what well, just, the hell is yeah, going I, on I, here? Yeah, and I think when you're coming from, from yeah. an African, definitely free, you're up, sort of yeah. sliding around in the bush and you know taking pot shots at the birds. Yeah. And, <laughs> living quite a, an open mm. kind of life and then you kind of get on a plane and go to Heathrow Airport or Gatwick or some, met by some maternal aunt who then sort of... 
takes you to the, her flat or apartment and then sticks you on a train at Victoria Station to go, to, you know, like the oh. whole How old construct, you? nine. Yeah, I mean, that's so just insane. I remember going round up in Kenema, which is sort of like 300 miles into the bushland from Freetown, crying for three days before I had to get on this plane. I said, well, Mum, why, why are you sending me off you know, mm. to the, this weird to place? School, to this yeah. place. So I, I found it, yeah, I, I think then I didn't, I just accepted. And I was the first child because my, my, I've got two younger brothers. So I was the first one to have to deal to go, with this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, so I actually got sort of kicked out. You know, my, my <laughs> How old were you? Twelve. Did you? Yes. To so kick out at twelve. Yeah. So the, I the, love that. The, the so where did you said, go? We, we can't cope with this. This I animal. I love it. You oh know, my god. He's wearing it. He's done a shirt. Look at him. The courtyard had track but marks. My mother's. In it. You know, she she's ever the diplomat. She she got me into into a school called Sherbon. Sherbon oh yes. In Cheltenham. Mm. Much nicer. Which was run run by by I won't even describe the headmaster, but it was basically a, a, a school run as a financial oh dear. thing, and uh, it was so badly sort of run that a lot of the teachers and stuff sort of came and went, oh. and we ended up actually like the whole school fraternity. We we found ourselves washing up and running the school. Doing all the oh. cooking and cleaning and stuff because all the staff were had left and then <laughs> they they had a whole what? vegetable patch outside. So he's actually got the kids to to create this whole Lord maybe, of the maybe flies. this was the, yeah, the precursor to, to sort of outward bound stuff. I you love know, like, it. Like yeah. This is nineteen sixty something, and he was trying to do a kibbutz because the Jew, yeah. Jewish headmaster and he he was always going off to. To Israel and, and 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 coming back with all these amazing yeah. sort of images, we'd have to sit in the assembly hall and look at him and his trip and his partner wife yeah. and all this stuff they were doing. I love it, you know. And okay, fine, but meanwhile, <laughs> eventually the Daily Mirror got hold of this whole sort of embezzlement thing because it, it seemed like like the they, they'd actually just embezzled most of the monies that our poor unsuspecting yeah <laughs> my parents goodness. were putting into this school so it was actually all over the over the uh, you know the, the tabloids is as this you know this whole no sort of scandal a, 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 um, very wary of establishment by <laughs> yeah. that point the second school and you're like this is the opposite but it's gone horribly wrong but it was amazing because it was the sherborne was a one of those old 17th century mansions mm. you know and i remember smoking little black goldwarf you know, little Sobranos, I think they were called. I remember those. Out on the ledge, listening to Sonny Liston get hammered by Cassius Clay. You know, it's in 1962. And I remember it distinctly, you know, sort of a balmy sort of summer's night. And it it was an extraordinary place. And Mm. the grounds were were, were incredible. And, you know, I think 15 or 16 when the whole Sherbourne thing fell Mm. apart. So did you go back to King's? Well, then my mother said, look, you know... Two, two of his younger brothers are now because they my younger brothers actually followed me to prep school and they <gasps> got their common entrance and they I paved the way you know <laughs> they made their life easier you know but yes. they went straight to Kings so they went to the prep schools like I did yeah you know, same thing but they progressed normally into the highest you know, into the they weren't main school 
Whereas I went off on a little... Yeah. It's funny know. how that they sort of, not suited, but they... Got, they did they, accepted what, it. did they like it? Well, maybe or? by that stage, the school had got used to <laughs> sort of people like me coming yeah, into yeah, the yeah. school. And, and, and I don't know, they 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 managed and they got yeah. through. And so my mother said, look, it, you know, it would be really good if David could come back into the fold. Mm. And the very interesting thing about that was that, of course, I'd had this sort of three-year hiatus and then came back and actually rejoined some of the same classmates that had been at prep school. And they remembered me as being this complete yeah. academic loony, you know, who just yeah, yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. have any abilities. And I remember distinctly because, you know, again, you know the O-level system and the A-level yeah. system. I actually got quite angry with them and, and felt that um, they didn't understand me and, and I wasn't as stupid as they thought yeah. I was. So I actually worked really hard at going round. I can remember going round the rugger bugger pitch, mm-hmm. learning learning my history dates and my English poets and mm. you know, really diligently. And I actually got through all my O levels. Mm. And but I, I mean, it's sort of interesting educationally. I mean, I had a history teacher then who just was the most inspiring guy that I've ever met. And he, he just turned the whole history of battles and Napoleon mm. and, you know, the Third Reich. I mean, he just made it so colourful. And I just could not get my hands on enough books about all these mm. sort of, you know, I, I just yeah. was just totally need, drawn into it? Caesar and right. what, what Napoleon was about and, yeah. you know, why did this battle happen? Yeah. And I actually got a grade one in history, O-level. And, of course, the same thing when we went into our A-levels, we came back from the summer break. And I remember one of the teachers saying, okay, you know, okay, Fabian, what grade did you get for history? And I'm in the class and they all think I'm a complete, you know, because they didn't know what grades I had. And then said, well, I got grade one. And they all looked at me and, again, did he cheat? You know, back to the <laughs> cheating thing. But what, when did you become aware that being an artist was something that you could be or well, do? Well, again, at least with the King's Canterbury, they did have quite a flourishing art department yeah. as well. And I remember an old guy there who, who sort of took me under his wing and, and obviously encouraged me to to, to work. Mm. And it was again, it became a sanctuary. I used to go up there yeah. and spend long hours, you know, making drawings. And, I mean, in those days it was very much rendering it was, it was still and i still think it is the same now you know you go yeah. to a secondary school you know a lot of the teachers are still trying to teach them skill sets that are mm. more about look and put mm. you know, look at this black and white photo and if you can sort of draw this accurately according to that sort of mm. system of rendering then 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 you're you're happening but that's not art mm. it's just a, an ability to copy something exactly <laughs> yeah so do you, have you always been able to um, draw, like see perspective and accurately describe what you can see? You well, know, I think like, it became, became um, an ability that I could understand how to reproduce what I looked at yeah. up to a point. I mm. mean, if I looked at those drawings now, I'd think they were pretty dodgy, you know. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> there wasn't any other um, education. Sort of, uh, yeah, yeah that was there wasn't anything else being offered, was there? So it wasn't like you were going to stand on the table and start saying, "Right, I'm going to do it this way." 
No. There Although was, maybe you <clears> would, David, by the sound of it. Yeah, I don't remember being particularly instructed. I think I think the old fellow probably did give me some lessons in, in how to shade things. Sure. And mm. do, do the and were you drawing and in charcoal then? Because you're uh, pencil. Were you pencil? Yeah, a lot okay. of pencil work then. I don't remember. I think the whole idea of painting seemed to be like, or even going back to Sherborne, it was always seen as as, as a sort of a step up. Yes. You, know, you got into painting, that seemed well, to yeah. be quite, up the hierarchy. quite scary yeah. sort of stuff. And, you know, that, that only happened when you really got your act together with your drawing. And yeah. maybe it was you were allowed. a sign yeah. of maturi- mm. maturity. But yeah. I, I don't remember doing a lot of painting. I did a lot of drawing. Mm. So then I went off to Wimbledon. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Did, and did a foundation, a proper foundation course yeah. there, and this is the supreme irony because I remember diligently, even during the holidays, going into the school just on my own, doing one self-portrait after another. So the portraiture thing oh, actually wow. started probably at Wimbledon in my foundation year, and it was full-on drawing yeah. and, and mixed media then. And on the basis of all that work, I got into Farnham. Oh, I see. But I actually did apply to Camberwell as my first choice. Yeah. And with Surrey College of Art was my second choice. And it was just fate that Camberwell didn't um, go for me. And <laughs> <laughs> they got a note from Camberwell. So all, all, all these, no. you know, this, my whole life has yeah, it is a sliding door. back, you know, from yeah. academia to now I'm now the art school won't take me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got into into um, I think the first. We were the first year intake of the degree course. It was the first, ah. um, and maybe they needed some people. They were probably scraping the barrel. Or something. They so, were not. Yeah. <laughs> ended up going to Farnham, but it but it changed my life because it was yeah. back in the freedom of being out in in the fields. And I rented a little cottage with a bunch of other it's very pretty students, and yeah. we walked, you know, three or four kilometers. You yeah. know, I seem to have this three or four kilometer hike. Do you walk into Campbelldown now? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On my little pushback. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was just a wonderful three mm. undergraduate. But curiously enough, and, you know, I, I would never say to any aspiring youngster not to go to art school. I think absolutely imperative. Mm. But not necessarily for the teaching, but because you're with like-minded people and other people who want to make art and and it's a way of life. Mm. So I think what it taught me was to be with the right kind of people. So when I, you know, high school and stuff, I wasn't with the right people. They weren't the people that Which is your tribe. Yeah. Yeah, so I find my my people. Tragically, of course, being a Capricorn. Oh, what happened? You know, well... Here we go. Did you get kicked out? Well, no, I didn't actually. But but the thing is, the art school also coincided with, you know, you're going into 2021. You're Ooh. very, very um, gullible about what the contemporary art world was. And at that stage, it was all Frank Stella and Ellsworth Kelly and hard-edged shaped canvas people doing stuff with masking yes. tape and all that kind of stuff. So I found myself starting the first year doing all the sort of life drawing and drawing and going into the into that sort of arena but it soon became clear that uh, only very conservative sort of bearded weirdos with pipes would go and do life drawing you know like it was yeah. it was sort of like a post-war th- throwback but so we you were felt now like supposed you couldn't to, do that well i felt you know 
I wanted to be cool. part yeah. of, of the new yeah. generation of artists. So I, I well, initially at Farnham, I, I, I got quite sort of um, enthralled with a guy called William Scott, who was a painter who spent a lot of time in Devon and Cornwall, and he, mm. he, he did sort of semi-abstract. Don't know if you know his work, no. but, but quite a quite an influential painter of the mm. St Ives sort of uh-huh. area, and he he did lots of um, paintings that that were landscape based, but in some cases the still lives took took sort of pots and pans oh. with the shapes and turned them into sort of more abstract forms. Very interesting mm. painter, and I and I found that sort of division between abstraction and figuration quite. Um, quite an interesting area to sort of operate in. So I kind of moved into that kind of area of quite moody sort of blue, black, white sort of paintings of sort of semi sort of figurative elements. But how did you end um, up at the Royal Academy? I did a, a postgrad. post-grad yeah. The Royal Academy didn't really have like an MA, yeah. like the Royal College or whatever, yeah, you know, postgrad. But so it was a postgraduate certificate in painting. Sure, yeah. okay. So did so it was you another three year course? Wow. I had a great oh, another student. three years. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Who were your tutors there? Please well, say I had, David. Um, John, John Hoyland. I don't know if you remember John. He was uh, a uh, um, and um, Paul Huxley and um, you know they, they were all hard edged merchants. Then yeah, you know, quite quite. Um, what did, what quite colourful? But John Hoyland was was one of the main abstract painters of his time mm. huge stained canvases with just sort of you know a bit like Hans Hoffman do you know the yeah. american um, who came to uh, america post war and set up the Hans Hoffman school and and he was very influential on a lot, a lot of american painters post war mm. and um, the royal academy is quite quite an academy yeah. you know the first two semesters you had to actually work in the life room Ah. Well, that was good for you. Well, Did the you thing like is, that? Well, the thing is I was trying to become relevant as an abstract contemporary ah. painter. So by the time I got to the Royal Academy, I, I went further into abstraction. Ah. I was going to say, you're and, fighting it, weren't you? You're trying yeah, to get so away I, from I, these. I did these big installational-type shaped canvas works, which, oh, wow. which were very sculptural. So mm. when you looked at them, the shapes created a lot a lot of dynamic between what was coming forward and what was going back. There was a lot of optical, mm. right. you know, and I was quite very formal, abstract. Did you feel work. Did you feel back then something's not quite, I'm not quite Well, I remember right. at Farnham waking up in my little cottage, dreading going across the field to, to the art school because what I was doing was just just doing. I didn't feel yeah. connected. It wasn't your so thing. So for seven years, no wonder I'm a bit Seven tragic. years? Seven years, well, three years. Yeah, yeah. three years. You, you weren't really... Foundation course, three yeah. years, then three yeah. years post-grad. That whole time, I never felt it was particularly you. connected to what I was doing. I just thought I, was, I should be doing this because this is what yeah. was in the zeitgeist. Yeah, it was part of, of, part of being... I'd say a lot of people do um, that, don't you think? Yeah. Well, I think you see it in the contemporary art world now. Yeah. Everybody's doing stuff that they think they should be doing, yeah. but yeah. not necessarily doing what, yeah. what they, they should be yeah. doing. Exactly. It's so yeah. hard that, like, you've taught for a long time. Like, when you see it in a student, do you just have to let them go through that? Like, that you can't really stop them in their tracks, right? Well, you? I've seen, I've had, you know, I could name quite a lot of uh, young 
um, artists who whose drawing skills were just amazing. And I thought, Christ, you know, you could take that and run with that and b- build a, a really strong mm. figurative um, practice. Mm. But no, they go off and make sort of drawing machines and videos and, mm. and leave art school without much to show for it. And then I've seen them. They've struggled and not continued to work because mm. they haven't, I think, worked with their strengths and stopped worrying yeah. about the contemporary art mm, world. Yeah. How, how do yeah. you stop, like when you're working and when you're young and, and at art school, how do you stop from running with the, the crowd? The crowd. <laughs> like it's so, like you have to have such self-possession from such an early age. Like a lot of people just don't have that till they're older, right? I mean... Well, it's interesting because James Huguenin, who was a very close friend of mine at Farnham, he started very, very early on making system-type paintings. He was very, very caught up in Surah and the pointillists mm-hmm. and he wanted to examine how the colours could be separated, a bit like Tim McGuire now, mm. you know, he's trying to separate the colours into mm. their various component parts and then make a painting based on, on science and, yeah. and, and systems. And he was very much into that right from the beginning. And he went on, and now if you if you Google James, he's up in you know Northumberland with assistants making these vast sort of canvases all based on symbols and yeah. and, and and systems that are all highly um, labor intensive. So he has assistants who who you know he mixes up the colors and then they apply it all wow. and stuff. But he ended up, you know, he's got a, a major work of his in the Tate, you know. So he's, he was he went on, but he was very focused right from the beginning and I, I agree with you i mean if if i had actually been a different sort of person and run with my drawing skills mm. at 13 and on and gone to art school and continued to work as one of those bearded weirdos with the pipe in the life friend and said fuck everybody else this is where i want to be you know i mean you could say paul arego you know the yeah. portuguese mm. english artist who's got the most amazing drawing skills mm. and kept working with with her her narratives and her history and and and, and kept working within that figure tradition through certainly in the 70s and 80s yep. through when it wasn't uh, when it wasn't when it fashionable wasn't trendy. Right. yeah so That's right. you know how how one is it like a sort of internal gut feeling that you've got to go with? Like when you finally came back to, you know, portraiture and drawing, like did you feel settled? Definitely, because it, it needed, I think there was Louise Nevelson, who was an American sculptor, who was actually quite feminist, but she refused to not celebrate her femininity. So she used to wear these amazing scarves and mascara. This is very 60s and very flamboyant, you know, a bit like Georgia O'Keeffe. You know, mm. they, they were extraordinary women, but they didn't feel like they had to cut their hair short and mm. their trousers. They, they still exhibited their femininity. And she, mm. she wrote a wonderful book whose name escapes me, but basically suggesting that people needed to transplant. They needed to go, and maybe in her terms it meant going out of some obscure Iowa village, you know, community out west and coming to New York. Or, you know, in my case it was leaving London and coming to Sydney. Yes. So what did that, that do for you? Well, it just changed everything because I started again.
Well, I had a younger brother, one one of my two brothers who'd followed me through the prep school and the whole thing. They, he, the sensible brother. Sensible. Chris had, had graduated from um, from King's and then went on and did a diploma in the hospitality industry at Ealing Tech. So he just followed a, a sort of a, a... He didn't really know what to do with his life, but maybe going into the hospitality. So he ended up... Um, he pissed off, basically. And, and, was, and he loved it? Well, he just disappeared. He was, you know, I didn't see him for four years. He, he was really the bugger. Well, people I, didn't come back and forth. No, that he didn't much, come did back they? and forth. I, never, I don't remember seeing. Do you him. not even write you a letter? No, no. That's was, rude. Left me. I didn't know where David was. He was all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find him. Yeah, David's on the road. So I, just, I got on a plane and, and and left my partner in England. I thought I was only coming out for six weeks. And as soon as I hit, came over the over the roofs of sydney i knew i was home because it's so like durban yeah and it's yeah stopped. people have and, said and that. it's very similar lifestyle similar climate yeah similar vibe yeah and beers and barbecues or brys do you call them bry bry yeah <laughs> and even before i hit hit the How tarmac I, I i thought okay i could live here this yeah. is it and i'd actually brought a portfolio with me so i i, I probably instinct said mm. and i was 30 one ish and um yeah and going back to the sort of you know louise neville sort of thing this transplant i realized well this was actually right place right time yeah to change my life i had to do something and i will say to all the young men at art school mm. 30 is for male seems to be the point that you need to make a decision about mm. where you're going Okay. What do you mean with your practice or with well, I just a gallery? Think as a or? Young men, you know, through yeah. their teens and twenties. I mean, they just—it's all about sex and drugs and rock and roll. I just don't have right, common sense. Well, their brains don't. Yeah, their brains have not functioning. Yeah. So having said that, you know, some some of the kids that were art school were very focused and mm. very committed, and I yeah. just wasn't one of them. I was, no. just did all the things. Yeah. I'm still struggling, yeah. David. Now, you know, there was an artist bar down in George Street that. Lot of artists would congregate and go to, and I mm. remember going up because I was traveling around going up trying to do artist talks at Newcastle and stuff. Because it's kind of interesting this being from elsewhere, even though I had absolutely no justification for being uh, a practitioner, I hadn't had any solo shows or just been in group shows and stuff in the UK, coming mm. from elsewhere and arriving in Sydney in 1981. Mm. But as, a, as an artist, I was very un. Um, you know, deficient in that respect, uh, and I always felt that that you know at that stage I was a a bit of a a charlatan. You know, like like I I had the ability to verbalise or articulate and, and mm. disseminate information, but I, I didn't have a practice. So right. It was kind of quite an interesting working in. in you didn't art feel school. like you were a artist. Well, I hadn't in quotation my marks. stripes. Yeah, I didn't okay. feel mm. I should, you know, but I, I I was on survival mode, so yeah. You know, but I walked into that bar and, and I'd actually travelled up to Newcastle and come back on the uh, train with Michael Johnson. And Sue had actually been in Michael Johnson's ear a few weeks ago. Said, oh, you've got to come down to this artist bar, you know. Come down, Michael. I don't want to come down to the bar. Anyway, when we hit um, Central Station, um, we got a taxi and he said, come on, we're going down to this bar. And the first person he introduced to me was Sue. Oh, so you met her. So I met almost, her within three weeks of ah, hitting, hitting the tarmac. 
There you go. And then I never left. I've been by her side for 40 years. Oh, <laughs> that, is <laughs> <laughs> that is so, gorgeous. That is gorgeous. And she is your muse. She is. Yeah. Did, did you think, compared to where you'd come from in London, the Royal Academy and everything, were you like Australian artists are up there with them? Like there was, or did you see like a massive difference <clears throat> in what they were doing? Well, I think I was incredibly arrogant. I just thought it was very parochial and you yeah. know, I'd seen all this stuff in England and America and stuff and that it all seemed a bit bright and garish and, and un, untutored in some way. Mm. It just, just seemed very... Did you think um, it was a bit, bit behind the times? Oh, I just thought it was sort of fairly parochial mm. crap art, most of it. But that was my arrogance and my, my ignorance mm. of, of what... You know, hadn't yet encountered Fairweather or Fred Williams or some of the really good mm. painters. You know, mm. and some of the good abstract and figurative painters that would would have been part of the scene. I was totally ignorant mm. of, of, so of you, the history of. Did you start up. getting sitters? There was a transitional period because I was making these hard edged, yeah, abstract things. So I started to move into sort of collage things, and I actually used to sort of take body casts of Sue and make make these kind of assemblages to a semi sort of figurative and then I don't know what happened I I just think I'm so over this formal sort of carry on Mm. Um, and I just picked up a mirror and of course just started drawing myself and I remember Mike Parr saying that when he learned to draw like very early on he spent five years just drawing himself like with pen pencil and taught himself mm. and then went on and did all those amazing sort of copper etchings and mm. what have you so I, I think basically I taught myself to draw again directly from from a model mm. and who knows why the figuration and the portraiture came about but it, but you know you could speculate that having been brought up in in Africa and looking at a lot of African art and a lot of oceanic art when I came here, like a Papagini stuff. Mm. It all became a part of that development. Because your your work <clears throat> is, I, I think your work is very distinctive and I see a lot of um, almost like mapping. When I, when I look at the form that you create through line, it feels like contours almost, or like you can really feel the structure that you're describing. Yeah, they're quite sculptural mm. drawings. Yeah, really sculptural. They? And so much emotion in there. You know, they're so well, evocative. I've been so traumatized through my life. I know, <laughs> David, up in the work. honestly. <laughs> do you think that's why you, you know, getting the mirror out yeah. and looking at yourself, do you think you were trying to almost get understand who you were? Mm, I yeah. think so. I mm. mean, you could, you could write a book about... Um, yeah. Sort of... Um, Psychology behind Sort it. of imagining mm. just where you're coming from. But I do think in retrospect having gone through all that constructivist shaped canvas yeah. sort of routine i was already quite sort of programmed to think yeah. in a constructivist manner yeah. so when i actually started to work with the portrait they were quite the early works were quite constructivist sort mm. of early cubist sort of experiments a bit like early well, like, Picasso yeah. paintings. Yeah, like yeah. facades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very, yeah. very f- quite hard-edged things. Yeah. They, they were unbelievably awful, to be quite honest. But but it was a transitional... <laughs> we got to go through those. Sort of period, you know. 
And um, so my second solo show was at Moria Gallery, which was a sort of a bohemian outpost of radicalism. And yeah. But again, a lot of the major artists like Tim McGuire, Janie Lawrence, um, Sue all Nori, all went, yeah. John R. Walker, they all started yeah. at Moray. Um So the first lot of paintings were actually portraits of myself mm. and of Sue and they were quite hard-edged, sort of mask-like. Um, in fact, before you go, I can give you my survey catalogue because mm. that mm. actually has a couple of the, yeah. those early sculptural yeah. heads. Mm. Ah, thank you. So um, do you think you've just progressed over the years to just get more and more free because they seem so free. You don't know where you've started and ended and, and yeah. the, the, it's like a, a tangle of chaos that is just completely um, got, you know, you can see what it is, if you got what I mean, but it's quite... They're coming out at you from this tangle. Well, I think that, you know, moving into sort of a, a, a way of reconstructing the visible world, it, it, mm. once I sort of discovered people like Giacometti mm. or was even that a- Bacon, that, that became hugely influential in the mm. sense that it was more organic and mm. I could start to work and bend and move mm. the space around. So once I had started to sort of focus obsessively on those particular artists, I realised that the linear aspect of someone like Giacometti was another form of construction, mm. of reconstructing. And from a, from a language point of view, you know, if you take out the mass and tone and you work with line, mm. the tone sort of happens in by, yeah. by, through the process. And yeah, organically, yeah. Yeah, so... I discovered that that I could concentrate on the linear constructivist side and create more organic form, mm. softer, and become yeah. more analytical about mm. moving across yeah. the face, as, yeah. as, as yeah. you were describing. Yeah, and um, again, the transplanting from Balmain to Wedderburn ah. was then quite sort of life changing because for the first few years, I actually went. Constructed a platform down the gorge. I don't know if you've looked. Well, yes, yeah, we've yeah, seen we it at the edge. Yeah. Well, I had a platform. Well, there was also one down at the bottom. Yeah, but of, it's all grown up now, hasn't it? Well, that actually got washed away uh, tragically <gasps> by all this recent yeah. floods. <gasps> because again, by ninety, well, we moved down in eighty-seven, and for the first three or four years, I worked outside on these decks and yeah. around working. And I got kind of obsessed with Fred Williams and the. And he, it's a painting called the tree stump. It was quite a well-known painting, which was like a like a sort of malevolent head. Yeah, you know. And I was trying to find ways of using organic form in the landscape that related to portraiture. Yeah, because I was still yes, because it in, is in, like in, the, in the early world, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It is that Australian. What were you doing on the platform? Painting the bush. Well, oh. I was still <laughs> in transition. You know, my transitions. I'm a slow burn sort of person. <laughs> it just took forever to to get to my, you know, nirvana. You know, the yeah. light. Um, well, you're thoughtful. So, David. so I kind of went through this whole constructivist things in in Balmain. I remember having a when I did my first show at Maury, um Elwyn Lynn was the art critic for the Australian, and I got a f- kind of front page thing of this urban. I mean, basically, sort of these. Portraits were very reminiscent of an urban man. You know, they were, they were very, yeah. very, sort of quite extreme and 
tense mm. and mm. angry and, you know, like the, the Cooning women mm. series, you know, mm. they yeah. have teeth and stuff. Okay. And so they, they were all sort of reminiscent of, of, of the jungle of living in urban. Mm. But they were still quite constructed and hard-edged things. And then I came out here and I sort of, another moment of recalibration. So I sort of thought, well, because at that stage I didn't know I was going to go on and discover Giacometti and, you know, hadn't mm. got there yet. Mm. So I went out in the bush and constructed these um, platforms and I did a whole lot of landscape painting, little board oil paintings, um, <clears throat> based on what I called them Wedderburn platforms and pathways because I'd actually constructed a pathway down to the mm. yeah. to the creek and the and the platform down there. Ah. Of course, being a Capricorn, I like being up high to look down on, on my domain. Like a goat. You know, like a goat. <laughs> like a mountain goat. So I found actually after after a few months of being down in the gorge looking up, I ended up back up halfway and I did a lot of – and it was really interesting. And, you know, I was out there and I was surrounded 360 mm. degrees by all this Amazing. bushland. And I tried to kind of work my way through the Fred Williams thing of trying to find structure within this mad mm. chaos of stuff. But I think – I came to realise, and of course, you know, having another artist that you live with and other artists that were living here, you know, there, there was that sense that I could have easily moved into that landscape tradition mm, mm. of Elizabeth Cummings or, mm. you know, that, that kind of semi-abstract yeah. sort of work. I, I, I would never have seen myself as an abstract painter. I think by that stage I was sort of on the path mm. to figuration. Mm. So I think Elizabeth would, would have been someone I, I would have probably been kind of interested in looking at mm. but i realized very quickly that that sort of territory had already been sewn up i just felt if i kept going down that track i, I would become what i call the splish and splash brigade you know <laughs> splashing splash around with splash. the paint i know it's terribly <laughs> arrogant and oh, derogatory i love it <laughs> you know splish and sunday um, painters <clears throat> Well, it's not well there's a lot of them but, yeah. but 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 there's a whole tradition of landscape paintings and they all go out in groups and do their thing, which is all fine, but I, I found that too um, too entertaining. When you say entertaining, do you mean that <clears throat> the artist going out into the bush, splish, splash, splashing, um, it's entertaining for the artist they're, and they're not growing because they're not, it is so entertaining <clears throat> and so good to paint that way that you're not pushing yourself? Well, probably I would find just my personality is somewhat stoic, actually. You know, like I'm kind of a bit over-serious about my practice. That I would find the the, the competition, you mm. know, and how many paintings, sketches can I do in a day? And then I look at my other colleague and they've done, you know, 20 more. And, and so they go... I don't know. There's, I mean, this is me yes. imagining. I could be totally wrong, and I'm sure some of those artists would would like to cut my throat, you know. Um, <laughs> so it's not not like that at all. But I, I just found that competitive. But do you thing think the and, and going out just yeah. just just too distracting? Too distracting. Well, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd yeah. remember doing a thing with Michael Kempson up at Kofa where he had the Cicada Press yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. thing, and soon I actually went out there and John Peart. Also, yeah. Elizabeth did a lot of work with with Michael, and he's an amazing sort of yeah. skill sets he's got. And, you know, um, but I found that really hard to mm. sit there 
making my etchings with a whole bunch of other people around yeah. and being looked at. And, yeah, too distracting. So you needed a studio <coughs> practice where you were sort of quite solitary. Hmm. Well, I mean, lucky that you came to Wedderburn where you, you're solitary but you're not alone, right? You've got other people that yeah. you can talk to about art too. Well, I was never very good at having people in the studio and sitting around, you know, having a glass with sort of no. artist colleagues and I think it might be a Capricorn thing I, I, I just, I just like felt that my studio was, was quite a private yeah. yes. and, um but I, I, I think also you know I always like some of the comments that Giacometti made about ideas of success and failure and, 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 and being a little bit wary of success and, yes. and, and imagining uh, and I remember Peter Hayes, who's a, an art writer, critic from Canberra, and he he did a quite a good piece on me for the um, the Cara Colleen Art Prize oh, yeah. Yeah. up at Cara, yeah. and they, they put a whole book together of all the past winners, and I won the prize in I don't know what it was two thousand and six. I bought my press based on that. Oh, did you? You have. <laughs> I did. David has and a. That was actually Tony Bond. She was all, all, all sort of nature. You know, he was down the road the, back in the eighties, and then he kind of ends up giving me a prize. At, anyway, that's another story. But, um, but I've lost the plot now. What was I saying? Well, you were saying that you yeah. know you don't you don't want to be you got a private in a group. yes <clears throat> you're in the private studio but. Well, let's go to your press, like because you do the most amazing etchings, and we saw your plates in your studio. They're beautiful objects on their own, um, and then you use often the prints to then paint and draw yeah. over the top. Can you talk to us a bit about your process? Because I I find it fascinating the way you bring your printmaking do you, do you into your painting. I mean, what do you call your works, David? Let's wind right back. Are they drawings? Are they paintings? Or does it matter? Or who gives a fuck? Well, if you go onto the website, yeah. Nanda Hobbs, it'll be a combination yeah. of painting, drawing and etching. So there's sort of like a hybrid okay. Of, okay. Of, of different um, systems of making right. arcs that are brought together. And, um, yeah, I mean, how, how that evolved, I think, is, is quite interesting because going back to that Giacometti thing of, mm. you know, I've got a really lovely book about Suzanne yeah. and Giacometti, because Suzanne I haven't spoken about, but Suzanne yeah. being one of the first constructivist yeah. painters who had a system of looking. So he was quite mm. influential in this change from abstraction into figuration, That mm. the idea that you could reconstruct mm. the mountain, Victoire, you know, from little planes and marks yeah. and stuff. So that, that was very much part of that early sort of practice. Um, but I always had had... A, a doubt about whether I should draw or paint. Yeah. And I struggled when I was in in, in, um, in the city making these um, paintings, but they were actually stretched canvas on plywood walls, so they were hard, and I would all draw and mm. paint in, in those canvases, even though I described myself as a painter. Yeah. But I also found that I spent 90% of my time making drawings all the paintings. Ah. At some point I thought, well, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. You know, I'm doing all these drawings and then doing these paintings. Why aren't I perhaps changing that around? But anyway, I came down here and that stuffed it up for a while because I continued to try to imagine that I was painting. Did you feel like you had to paint to be serious? Did you think... Well, I think there was, 
in my own mind that hierarchy. Yeah, mm. yeah. Know, where I the, think it, the painters yeah. are, are the. I think it still. You know, I think around. it still exists. Yeah, are, are the are the sort of you know pace setters. You know, yeah, yeah. But, it, and, but but I would say <clears throat> that the it's mark making of what you're doing. You know what I mean? It's your way of. It's your language. Doesn't really matter what no. material it is. But I think the fact that I ended up being a hybrid was yeah. was because I had a huge amount of <clears throat> struggle with with the idea of trying to paint. Mm. And so, you know, when, when I kind of decided in 1995, so mm. that's sort of five, six years, having got into being here in Wedderburn, mm. I, I actually made a conscious decision to re define myself as a draftsman ah. I actually made i said good on to you Sue, and i said to Fred, look new business card my my, my <laughs> yeah my, my means of making a work was based on drawing yes. a lot of artists would actually say even though they're painters that their underlying practice is based you know kevin connor would say drawing is mm. everything i'm sure fred williams would say that Brett wiley they'd all say that the drawing is mm. the fundamental but I couldn't make that transition from okay. the drawing into a, a viable painterly construct mm. like, that was my own. Mm. I was just going to end up being another painter mm. like lots of other splishy splashies around. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, 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 so when, when I sort of made that decision, basically, you know, I, I had finally mm. reconstructed my persona as, mm. as a as a draftsman working from life mm. with a sitter and accepting that having started all those years ago resisting the life room and the beard and the, mm. and yeah, yeah. the pipe that was you I had, come home. I had actually ex- had to yeah. accept that I that was you and, and accept that there was a certain you know convention and mm. conservatism in terms of going back mm. but also being quite stubborn and saying, well, in a way it's quite radical to do that in a time when everybody's working with videos and yes. all the rest of it. And and that it, it sort of gave me an identity because, you know, you become like a dinosaur, you know, one of these few people who are actually yeah. looking Well, you're at, sticking to your guns as it's well. It's quite brave like, to be yourself, really, yes. isn't it? I mean, that's one of the... Yeah, but it's also... It's I so probably good. would have become really... Um, Angry. Yeah, and, and, and quite disturbed. And I think, you know, through that whole period of trying to find oneself, you know, sort of cliche to kind of finally accept I was a drawer for yeah. life. I'd also hidden behind the teaching because, you know, when I realised, you know... It was taking too much time away well, from I just realised I wasn't that kind of animal. I just didn't want to be on a computer sort of... And I, mm. I, in those days, I was terrified of a computer anyway. I mean, mm. the notion of getting on a keyboard and looking... I would come out in a sweat. I still am, David. And that was part of the, <laughs> the deal. You know, oh, I had to, had to so did you only teach at nurse for three years? Well, uh, as a contracted oh, I see. Um, staff member, then I went. But did you to, like to, teaching? The I actual, loved it, yeah. The, I, I loved the... Forget the paperwork yeah. and the bollocks, but the actual communicating yeah, with the loved students. It. Yeah, I, how, I, yeah, you know, it's my social sort yeah. of... Um, Sociability was really yeah. terrific. and I think when you connect with a student, I, I mean, we've spoken to so many artists on the podcast who have been like, without the, the tutors or the mentors, that they wouldn't be, I think, you know, you need those light bulb moments, don't you, with artists who are further down mm. 
the path than you because mm, that's how we learn. Yeah. But what do you mean you were hiding in the teaching? Well, I remember I mentioned when I first got teaching, when I first came out, I didn't have a practice particularly, but I was getting the work. Mm. But while I was trying to find myself and find a language and have something to say, the teaching sort of, in a, in a way, sort of softened that fear and dread about going yes. into a studio because half the time I was teaching yes. and I then had to sort of confront yeah. the, the, the studio thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that became quite quite challenging that, that somehow you can breathe a sigh of relief and get on a train and go and teach mm, and that's deal, right. deal with that problem-solving yeah. issue. But yeah. then once, once I'd settled... You know, um, it yeah. It became, I mean, I come from a generation where you know the teaching thing was very common amongst artists from yeah, post-war. You, you taught, and then you tried to do your practice yeah. and what have you. So that notion of a career, I mean, that to me, it was you know a, a way of life. I didn't, I didn't, didn't think, yeah. and very few artists, post-war artists, were doing shows before they were forty. Mm. So when you got this sort of phenomenon nowadays, really? where you've got young mm. artists that are really hitting their straps by the time they're 30 and, and, and winning major art competitions and getting lots of accolades and stuff. I mean, I just think I did the hard yards. I really had to work mm. incredibly hard. And in some ways, I, 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 I don't know, I, I think you end up being, whatever happens to you seems to be totally bound up in your particular personality. So I would yeah. never have wanted to be famous like... I remember Louise Bourgeois, you know, the French sculptor, saying mm. that she was pretty much left alone until she was 70. Like, she did not have the attention that she got mm. in her like 70. Rose, Rose, Rose Wiley. Wiley. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so they were able to do their thing quietly. And grow. Yeah. And grow as artists. Not that I really want to go into that sphere because I, I, th- I think that would well, be yeah. very destructive. But um, it'd be fine if you could just get on with it and they could just pick well, up. It would be the fine if you knew that when you're seventy, yes, someone's <laughs> going to notice you, but you don't know no, no. for those seventy years. But you know, you don't know. But maybe that's not the point. Well, you should gotta, just that's be why happy the with work. the making. Exactly, you've <laughs> got to do the work for yourself, really, haven't well, you? Well, I just look with total bewilderment and marvel at these youngsters who seem to have got their shit together and you know well, have they seem, though david things seem, are never seem, what they seem they seem to be don't, making don't believe instagram quite quite sort of eye-catching and, and mm. quite authoritative paintings and you think wow okay i think I mean, everyone's born 30 how now. did you do this at 30 i mean i'm <laughs> 70 and still trying to figure it out yeah, but i do think <laughs> the, yes. but well you know like you say when our education back in the day was rendering art education now in a lot of places is far beyond so they're getting a bit of a leg up from what art education was do you know what i mean there's a lot more happening in the hsc foundation world you know that i think is far beyond like when i go to art express i'm like wow that is incredible what 18 year olds are making compared to what we were doing (coughs) with our still life in charcoal i mean Mm. with shading But I think the important thing is that that through that long gestation, I I was always conscious of wanting to find something of my own territory. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I could have found things a lot earlier if I then wanted to be more like other splishy splashies or whatever, (laughs) you know. 
You have to edit this out because you just love you it. You said it four times. We can't edit it out. Doesn't matter, David. I'm going to get the whole of the arts community come down. No, here. they'll not. But you've been in a lot of art prizes. You've won a lot of art prizes, David. The Dobell must have been a good... Was that a real... Well, in 95, I said I decided to start being seen myself as a drawer. Yeah. So within three or four years, I'd won a fairly major drawing prize. So yeah. that, that was quite... That's the pinnacle. Of validation. That, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think in you drawing, know. I to me that's like winning Wimbledon. Well, the interesting thing is that you know art prizes are a very particular sort of animal, and I remember that the judge for that prize was Pam Hallandale. Mm-hmm. Was she's no longer alive, but was a pretty um, important figurative drawer, painter. Well, mm. I don't think she did much painting, mostly drawing and etching. Mm. Melbourne artist and and was very highly influential to a lot lot of melbourne um, students and what have you so she taught a lot and i remember her she she said to uh, i think it was probably hendrik hollenberg who was then the prince and drawing curator saying oh i don't know whether i want to give this to fairbairn because it's very like my own aesthetic because her aesthetic was quite similar and um, so she was. She she did sort of deliberate whether whether you know she should try and what because people might think she's picked it because she she's liked, like her it was like her right, work yeah. you know. And funny enough, I was next placed right next to a, a portrait of Kevin Connor. Oh, so it's almost well, it could be Kevin or could be <laughs> Kevin, you know. anyway. She she she, coin. she 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 went with my work, but uh, you know, I, I guess there was. There is that sort of dilemma, I think, sometimes as a judge that, you know, try and perhaps not bring your own aesthetic Mm. into into play. That's right. Um, Mm. And then nowadays, of course, if you go into art prizes, if if you've got someone, say, like a Catherine O'Donnell who's doing the judging for the show, you know that the work is, you know, her own aesthetic is is, is extreme sense of realism and Mm. skill sets are just extraordinary. Mm. Um, But I think... Knowing her a little bit, I don't know her well, she won't but, but but I think be. she's quite broad in her thinking yeah. and, and would probably get quite a diverse mm. lot of work. But there is always that sense that someone coming from a very different aesthetic that would, would never want to sort of include your own kind of work because right. the yeah, aesthetic yeah, yeah. is so different. Mm-hmm. So, And I do think that does play out a little bit in other mm. prizes sometimes where, where the, you know, because I think, you know, certainly within the art world, the the academia thing has tended to hijack yeah. a, a lot of the the narrative and the mm. debate, and so you know there's a lot of conceptualization and having to write statements and mm. stuff. So my generation found that quite difficult to do sort of articulate. You, about I find what them you're very doing. difficult. Do you think that um, from your perspective as an artist, I mean, art prizes are obviously important for gallerists to show the uh, I don't know experience and. Um, skill of their artists, but from an from your perspective, do you enjoy entering them and getting selected, or are you doing it because you feel like you have to? Well, I think no. I think I think you know the bottom line is if you sort of say to a student, "Well, how are you going to get visibility? Yeah. How are you going to get out there? Well, get in, go into a lot of art prizes sure. and just put yourself in yeah. there." And take your chances and mm. just accept you're going to get knocked back. It's not necessarily because the work is bad. It's because the particular aesthetic of that judge just doesn't work. Yeah. But you have to 
keep at go, it. Go so, you know, Sue and I, very early on, you know, from 1981 onwards, yeah. just, just in fact, at some point, I think someone sort of made the sort of rather <laughs> flippant, we're sort of professional prize operators, you, you know. You've both just done very well. Going in for seven, eight prizes a year. So my CV is as a full of, yeah, you know. Um, but not only hung, David, but you've won them. Which is fantastic. Well, I reckon that's like lottery. You know, if you if you yeah. go, if you go in for these yeah. prizes enough times, may, maybe yeah. you know, your, your no, I think you're being humble up, now. You know, oh, a little bird. Oh, pigeon. The, the, the Wonga pigeon has decided oh, to come in. Oh, hello. He actually comes in and says, "Well, where's my yes, where's sunflower my seeds?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, look. Before we go, we, we have to mention that yes. you are now represented by Nanda Hobbs in Sydney, which is very exciting and because you were saying for five years you haven't been represented you've been doing the regional galleries um and then you before that it was Stella Downer so this is very exciting and you're off to the contemporary yes yes which, which is we will be fantastic I don't think there'll be that much figurative drawing at Sydney Contemporary so it'll be a real standout interesting yeah, yeah. now I made the decision after I left Stella because the whole Dank Street complex sort of folded and yeah. people moved on and Stella moved to a very small space up in Waterloo Street and I thought that was probably a good time to to, to sort of try and sort of move. So yes, yeah, so I went out and, and, and decided that I you know I wanted the freedom to, to go and explore, do some big etchings and, and you know, but I had a plan. I, I I did decide that, you know, maybe after I'd done these two projects that drawn to print and then I did this recent one yeah. drawn together, um that, that I would um, then go through the process of getting back into a get some representation. Yeah. But then you just don't know. I mean, you send out your emails and, and, and try and canvas some mm. um, some response. And you know, Ralph, to his credit, <laughs> just, just you know picked up the phone and said, "Yeah, come up and we'll have a meeting and take take you on board." So yeah. it, was, it was actually a lot easier for me than I imagined it would be. I, I thought. Yeah, were you a bit nervous? Like, perhaps? well, I think also I'd spoken to a couple of other artists um, that you know whether there's an ageist issue. You know, mm. like either you're sort of a young up and coming, and they Dallas mm. can work with the potential for that artist, and mm. as you move into your middle generation, middle career, middle career, years, yeah, you kind of slip off the radar, and then maybe when you're like Elizabeth's age, eighty something, you, you know, Guy Warren, they suddenly get this sort of attention based yeah. on on, on, on the longevity that, they've been around forever yeah um but no this particular colleague said no i think i think the prejudice of being older or younger doesn't seem to be quite no no so i think it's relevant. about the work and at it's the about end of the, the day that's exactly right yeah yeah because yeah. ralph actually was as interested in work i'd done 10 15 years ago as anything that i'm yeah. doing yeah and you know again to his credit i, I feel like he's interested in, in yeah. he's looking at and, definitely and, and, and engage and so and sophie his partners that you know it's quite refreshing actually to have mm. yeah, it's some dealers come down and actually take an interest so I, I think yeah it must be nice to have suzanne you know here you're both artists that you can talk to her about stuff like that whether it's you know business decisions or <clears throat> there's a lot of dialogue and and mm. you know, it's almost like you could say this is my business manager you know, it's yeah just, no no i don't think you should go down that line but then being a Capricorn, of course, I don't take any notice. <laughs> and then come back and say, well, actually, you were right. <laughs> you know, she knows. You were right. You know, she knows. She, she just yeah. waits for you to so, come back so, and go, yes. So, you know, I think I have made life a bit difficult for myself at some 
stages. But then you could say, well, then the quality of the work or the what's the resonance of the work is sort of bound up in in all that conflict and mm. sort of confusion and trying to be honest actually mm. like, like I actually find a lot mm. of contemporary art doesn't strike me as being authentic and mm. like it's a lot of posing and a lot of splishing <laughs> splashing Split. we're going to name this podcast <laughs> yeah. the splishing splashing podcast um, no David Fairburn does not but I'd like this splash. to be this is tongue, tongue in cheek I, know, I, yeah. I think there are some very good splishing um, yeah there are some mm. very um, good mm. painters yeah. who, who work in, in that particular mode but so also like one has to be absolutely su- su- see, see if you can't take a joke in this industry you're yeah. in trouble I but think. no experience is wasted i truly believe that and whatever's happened in your career has got you to where it is today it, it's it all Order. filters through you can't i mean it's easy to go back in hindsight and say i shouldn't have done that then and whatnot but i think it all comes out oh so it stopped has the, limited space remaining. Oh, okay. No, it's still going, but it's almost about to end. Well, on that note, on that note, David, thank, thank you, you so much. And we were so excited to come back and see you and Suzanne again. And um, we'll thank be, you for having us. we will move in one day. Thank yes. you. Please don't forget to rate and review and share this podcast. It helps my mum and her friend Fiona, get more listeners. Thank you.